Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alenco Animal Health. Now, we're on the grill again today with the toughest problems of the year, the livestock markets, especially cattle prices. Why did prices go up and up and up again in many categories to all-time highs? And especially why, why have these prices in so many categories stayed up there for so long? I'm joined again today by our market gurus, with all the answers, hopefully. Chris Harry from Stockco in South Australia. Welcome, Chris. How are you, Kerry? Well, thank you, mate. Matty Doglish, the man with all the algorithms from Thomas Elder Markets in Victoria. Welcome, Matthew. G'day, Kerry. Thanks for having me. Now, man, we want to get into the nitty-gritty straight away, and I want to start with that amazing effort from that property way over in the uh, northwest of uh, Western Australia from Hancock Pastoral Company, sending... I think it was 1,800 head or plus, way over to Roma in uh, central Queensland. 1,800 head and selling them there for some extraordinary prices. I'm sure you've read about it. Uh, Chris, you've heard of long-distance sales before, but this one takes the cake, I would think. Yeah, it's a, that's a pretty big taxi ride, that one. Um, look, it's smart business. Uh, it's been going on for a long time out of the pastoral country, especially Queensland, uh, the Territory and Western Australia is... To bring more buyers into it, you uh, you give a centralised delivery point, whether that be Alice Springs, but yeah, definitely from Fossil Downs across to Roma, uh, that's really allowed everyone to play and making sure they're clear of dip. All of the protocols are in place, so you're, you're basically buying clean cattle once they're landed. It's an extraordinary effort, I think. Matty, they obviously decided to take all the responsibility and punt on the price they were going to get out of Roma, and they certainly got the price. Yeah, that's right. It was something like, I think, Kerry, a dollar ahead in terms of all the costs to get them over there. Um, and I think it's something like just shy of 4,000 Ks, I think, was the trip. So it's a hell of an effort. And um, obviously, they got rewarded, though. I think you meant a dollar a kilo, a dollar a oh, head. Oh, that's I'd, what I meant. Sorry, I'd, that's what I meant, dollar a kilo. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> so that means, of course, if you had a 250 kilo steer, that's what they cost to send $250 a head. Exactly, yeah. yep. It's, we did, back when the um, live export job got shut down in 2011, uh, Michael Spencer and myself did a, did a calculation. We were trying to pull a ship in and take them around the corner to Townsville. It doesn't matter where you send the cattle, whether they go down to Warrnambool, they go to Townsville, or they went down into um, Harvey Beef. It was about 3,200 k's. It didn't matter which way you sent them. So they're going into Roma has centralised that supply into a really high demand area. A lot of road trains, a lot of CO2 emissions. I'm going to talk about the emission <laughs> the mission on emissions uh, later on. But uh, the prices they got, they were just extraordinary. Some of those lightweight steers, just over a year old, $8.92 a kg. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think uh, Chris had mentioned too, they'd been doing this uh, for a few years. I think if you compare it, Kerry, to last season... Um, I think the prices were about uh, 130 to 150 cents higher, uh, you know, than what they got last year. Um, so, look, you know, the punt worked out again for them. Yes, it's a, you wouldn't want anything to go wrong in that journey over from WA, would you? It, it just must have been planned to the most minute detail, but good on them. I think it's just good, plain good business, really. Yeah? I, I, and I guess other vendors, possible vendors over there will be looking at that. Mind you, they were pretty good cattle. You couldn't do that with just your average northern cattle, could you? Uh, no, look, I wouldn't think so. They did yeah, the genetics uh, by all accounts from the reporting. They're, they're good genetics, so um, and, and in good condition. So um, 
yeah, it wouldn't be something you'd take the gamble on if you weren't fairly comfortable you had some good quality product to offer. Now, South Australia, we're going to go to South Australia for you, Chris. You've got a, you're having a cracker season there now, and it's getting better by the day. Yeah, look, all, all north of Adelaide, is rec- and it's still raining now, um, right up into the northwest, northeast pastoral. They haven't had proper rain up there since 2016. Um, the mid-north cropping country, you know, the, the, the croppers are, are being impacted now, like they were into harvest, and this, this style of rain isn't going to do them any favours. Uh, the lower southeast, basically from Narracourt right through to the Gippsland, it is still soft green, like it is. They're having a phenomenal season. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to have a crop to take off in New South Wales or, or Victoria at present. You'd be crossing your fingers, wouldn't you? No, there's a lot of water running around New South Wales from the New England. It's raining hard at Wagga as we speak. Um, a lot of rain at Inverell uh, in the last 24 hours, uh, right out through Gunnedah, Moree. Uh, you know, this is creating a lot of impact on on the the harvest, uh, and we're already seeing inquiry. You know, back through what I do with Stockco around opportunity to bring livestock onto paddocks, uh, basically weather-damaged crops wow. uh, once it dries out. So there'll be a lot of feed wheat around, you're saying? Yeah, a lot of feed wheat. And look, if this hangs on, it'll shoot in the head, which is a bad thing. But um, uh, uh, regrowth in the stubbles is what a lot of people are talking about, is that they're going to have a poultice of, of feed, basically regermination. Now, let's look further at the sheep industry. You were mentioning earlier when we spoke off uh, off microphone that there's an issue with shearers in the, in the as we head into shearing season there are very very few shearers available oh, this is this isn't just a, a a glitch in one or two spots uh, at dublin on tuesday uh shearers are in short supply uh a lot of bigger operators and we're not talking 500 sheep you know 2000 up to 10,000 sheep are struggling to find shearers. They've already gone over their 12-month um, wool clip uh, in, in regards to length. And what we're finding is that the shearers are being offered well above award rate to leave the job they're at and come and, and get shearing done. And, and this isn't just South Australia. This is right up the eastern seaboard. Wow, I've heard of gazumping in real estate, but not in the shearing business. And is this- no, it's the first time. Uh, it's the first time I've I've seen this happen. That's uh, and and significant amounts are being offered just to get the sheep shorn. So where are the shearers? Are they locked up in New Zealand, or are there just not enough of them around? Uh, New Zealand. So that the, the New Zealand crew, uh, pretty much they they fly into gear normally the long weekend in October, and then they just progress up through the pastoral shearings in you know uh, late January, February, March, they're not there. And the reliance on what we call cocky shearers, all of them have gone home to do harvest. So there's just this massive hole of skilled uh, skilled shearing shed stuff. So uh, what's, the, what's the solution? Cross your fingers oh, and hope. Well, that's um, like, yeah. consider, consider shedding sheep, Kerry. Well, yes, yeah. <laughs> 32 miles. Look, it, it's... 32 it's, micron shattered sheep, that'll be good fun, yeah. Um, the uh, Victorian situation is uh, a bit more dire as well because we've got the overlay of um, these vaccine requirements that the Andrews government's putting in place. So um, about a week or so back, there was a report of a lot of Victorian shearers saying that well, they're just going to go up to New South Wales instead and not worry about getting vaccinated. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're doubly kind of um, you know, disadvantaged here. Well, Paul, Victoria, let me pray for you. <laughs> Not. 
Now, look, uh, let's uh, check cattle prices. Last time we spoke and the ecchi was going through the roof. Is anybody surprised at what's happened in the last six or eight weeks or so? Uh, well, we've just seen pretty much for, for the ecchi, it's just been treading water, really. Um, so, you know, that's that's probably not a surprise. I, I would suspect, though, as we head towards the end of the season, I did notice a week or so back we started to see a pickup in yardings in Queensland. Um, so I think that might be, you know, uh, I, I think I mean, Chris might have mentioned it even back uh, at the last podcast that, you know, that was the expectation. We'd start to see some numbers flowing. Um, so I think as we, as we head towards the end of the year, we might start to see a little bit of a, of a price pressure to the downside for young cattle. Yes, uh, uh, Chris, and, and sheep and lamb prices. Sheep, the lamb prices at least have gone up all year, but uh, sheep prices have more or less stayed static or even fallen away a little lately. Yeah, mutton jobs backed off a bit. There's a couple of uh, drivers behind this. So improved lamb numbers, normally they transfer their kill from mutton, which holds during the winter across to lamb. Um, we've still got the COVID restrictions in Victoria, which are impacting the abattoirs um, in regards to how many staff they can have. And a couple of the abattoirs were offline because of COVID. And also Tamworth, um, uh, Thomas Food International, they're, they're putting a new chain into Tamworth with a lot of technology. Um, so when they when they come back online, but mutton's comfortably sitting at sort of 5 to $5.80 at present. In historic terms, that's still pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, you've got a ewe that you're done with, you send her into the market and you're copping $120 to $150 for her. That's not a bad result for a six-year-old ewe. No complaints here. Now, uh, uh, Matty, the uh, cattle price is still steady and strong and just they're just staying there, aren't they? There's no retreat. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you look to the one that I'm really closely following, I mean, the Eki is getting in the headlines, but the heavy steer, um, Kerry, the national heavy steer is still sitting around that 450 cents a kilo live weight. We did see it kind of um, rally up to 475, which is just extraordinary, but it, and, it, and it's backed off from there, but it's, it just seems to be holding pretty firm at that 450 level. Um, and, and by all accounts, it looks like we're going to continue to see the rest of this season above four, $4. Um, you know, and, and I guess once we start to head into next season, it's probably likely we're going to still see pretty strong prices, maybe not as high as, as $4 through the whole year, but certainly from a historic perspective, you know, you could be looking at the high threes um, as an average price for the for the rest of 2022, which is going to give, I think, the, you know, the market in general a lot of confidence next year. So the rain won't do any harm to those prices. I'm, I'll put some a further floor in the in the prices. The, the rain and the, well, the sheer numbers that we don't have. Yeah, that's next, right. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the next the next ten days, we're going to see logistics spike the market because we just can't move trucks. Uh, Northern New South Wales, Queensland. When you get this type of rain, doesn't matter if you want to move them or not. You can't get the trucks in. And uh, look, as much as I thought the Eki was good enough, I think we're going to see a spike on that. Wow. Um, this is pretty widespread. Any light cattle, the first weaner sale, proper weaner sales on today uh, in South Australia. That's um, Amherst Mobile, and uh, they're on Auctions Plus, and that's really going to, to give us an indication of where this wiener job's going to be. That uh, heavy steer price, I've just had a quick look at it. It's, it's gone up about 20% this year, but that's on the back of the last two years uh, edging up at 20% this year. Uh, interesting kill ratio. I've had a check lately. Female kill rates down to 38%. Yeah, that's the that's the weekly one that MLA are reporting. Yeah. I think um, when you look when you look at the MLA reporting, they carry to the to the ABS official figures that come out quarterly. 
um, there's a little bit of a disparity between the two. And, I mean, most of last quarter, um, MLA numbers were around that low 41% female kill rate. Um, but then the, when the ABS numbers came out for that quarter, it was about 46%. So there, there might be, um, you know, the, the ABS numbers are probably the more reliable of those figures. The, the MLA ones are just a, are just a bit of a guide um, because they're not, they're not mandatory reporting type um, requirements. Uh, I, thought, I thought that's an aberration, but at least it's encouraging that it's in the 40s now and not in the 50s like it was about this time last year. Yeah, if that's you, right. Uh, if, if you look at, at the dynamics the best trading margins in the last last five months have been preg-tested heifers, preg-tested cows. Yes. They've been buying them at $2,200, carving them down, selling them for $3,600, up to $4,000. Um, anyone with a viable female at present uh, have got more than just a slaughter option. And, and, the, and the, the store or the breeder option is by far a premium above market. I've noticed that. I thought it might have been my own reading because every every sale that I uh, was reading about, they were all PTIC. So that's where the money's going at present, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And if the specialist carvers, uh, what we're watching is those that put the time into a heifer, look after her, check her, you know, twice a day, they are having a hell of a result. You know, heifers are a, a, a high workload, but the result is very good. Time for our quick break. We'll be back in a moment after this brief message from our sponsors, Elenco Animal Health. Don't let your cattle suffer the setbacks caused by buffalo fly. Combat buffalo fly with Corral Patriot and Silence insecticidal ear tags. Providing up to four months of long-lasting fly control. Elenco has you covered with a range of ear tags to suit your rotation program. Contact Alanco and find out how you can win the Buffalo Fly Battle now. Welcome back. We're on the grill with Matty Dalgleish from Thomas Elder Markets and Chris Howie from Stockco in South Australia. Now, Matty, the processing industry, it's widely known, I suspect, that the processors in Australia have been losing as much as $300 a head for most of the year. This is just defies any sort of economic realism. Is this going to continue? I think it will. And I take the point Chris made about the short-term potential for a bit of a supply chain spike to prices. But one of the things that makes me think that we might get some relief to the high prices, at least from the processor's perspective, as we as we go past the short-term potential um, rainfall spike, is um, what we're seeing in the export markets, Kerry. We've, we've got Korea, um, South Korea, are about to hit their, uh, their their tariff safeguard for, for beef exports from Australia. Um, we've seen the same the last kind of two seasons and and for the you know for the last bit of the year. Um, and so we saw you know 2019 2020 um, beef exports from Australia to South Korea dropped away in that last bit of the year. So we might we might lose some of that kind of demand from that export sector as as we hit that tariff. Um, and that's what's making me think that you know that's going to put a bit of pressure. On, on the kind of export side in terms of pricing. And I just wonder if, you know, if we get the domestic price still you know, raging ahead and, and moving up or staying as firm as it is, it's not going to give the processes any relief whatsoever, um, you know, going towards the end of the season. I think we're going to see, you know, record kind of losses, um, you know, certainly from the, from the processor margin model we run at Thomas Elder Markets. That's, I think, the average for this year so far, loss per head is about $305. Um, and it looks like it's not going to back away. Um, you know, if we if we start to see um, those export prices drift a bit um, southwards, 
and uh, and our and our prices domestically stay pretty firm, then it's it's not a it's not a joyous time for processors at all as we head towards the end of the year. No, it isn't. Now the, now the way the the refrigerated container story is going, they can't find them. I'm told this is inhibiting exports as well. Yeah, that's correct. That's been the case. It's been tricky. Um, getting containers, you know, I guess for the whole of this season and, and you know, as, as COVID was breaking last year, it, it started to become problematic. And I think there's a whole heap of container ships that are banked up on ports coming into South, um, to, into America as well. There's, there's something like 100-odd ships waiting to dock. So, you know, the delays are not just getting the containers, but then getting into port and getting the product cleared as well. Absolutely. It's right yeah. across the board, the shortage of containers. It's just extraordinary. The containers are there. They're just in the wrong place. And, yeah, and that's that, right. That domestic market, what uh, Matt spoke of, Kerry, we're seeing we're seeing contract written now. It's it come out yesterday. There's sort of a little bit better than $10 in the north uh, into one of the supermarkets. Um, and yet in the same breath, some of the smaller feedlotters are just saying they're going to pull up on buying because they can't make the numbers work. Um, even at rate like that, the uh, the... The backgrounding or the or the feeder value is is beating them, even with a really good feed ration. That's extraordinary. Maybe there's some cheap feed grain around in the coming months. <laughs> yeah, that and that might make a difference. Yeah. And it's an unusual industry we're in. So just as a quirky and a quirky aside, uh, heard yesterday that the Australian government, uh, the cruise ship industry, will miss the Australian season because they haven't made a decision on letting them in. But there are two hundred and forty cruise ships fully activated with a waiting list in the Northern Hemisphere now. Wow. Um, and that's a huge piece of premium red meat market for the Australian processes. It would be indeed. Now, boys, the emission mission, Australia, <laughs> zero by 2050. <laughs> that's a, I look, it sounds uh, funny, if, uh, not hardly laughable, though, because I think it's a serious, serious business for regional and rural Australia, especially for primary producers, uh, Maddie, what are you hearing out from from your people about what lies ahead, or is it still a mystery? Oh, look, it's there's, there's, there's some clarity getting there. The, the biggest frustration, from the perspective, certainly from what I see, is is the amount of misinformation that you see, particularly on some of the social media sites around um, the emissions of the livestock sector, um, both within Australia and and, and more important globally. Um, you know, I think uh, you know we're it's, it feels to me as though the, the sector's been made a scapegoat, really. Um, but there's other there's other elements of industry globally that are, that are the big emitters, and it, and it seems like somehow, um, and particularly the cattle sector, if you look at livestock, it's the cattle sector that's being targeted. And I think that's a huge frustration for producers um, that see this kind of misinformation all the time about the product that they're, that they're producing. And, and- I, I'm 100% with Matt. We're, being, we're a soft target. Um, it's it suits it suits some various agendas to misdirect. It is yes. uh, to exactly what Matt has said. Uh, I, look, I'd see it that it seems like regional and rural Australia, especially the graziers, the sheep and cattle graziers, they're going to do a lot of the heavy lifting over over the, in this exercise. Well, they already have as well, Kerry. Though, that if you look, I mean, obviously, it's well publicised that MLA have their um, net zero target by twenty thirty. And if you look at the beef sector in Australia, um, since 2005 to now, um, they've pretty much halved their um, greenhouse gas emissions. And, and if you compare that to other sectors within Australia, that's the, the beef sector is the biggest one in terms of making inroads to, to, to reducing their carbon footprint. Um, you've got really good technologies like the seaweed um, additives that are, that are apparently getting you know, northwards of 90% reduction rates in methane emissions. 
um, which are all good things. But but the, the thing I still kept coming back to, Kerry, is the numbers globally. Like I said, if you look at livestock emissions globally, and that's that's carbon and uh, methane emissions, they account for less than 6% of global emissions. Um, whereas, you know, the energy sector and transport, you're talking 73% of, uh, of emissions of carbon um, that they're responsible for. So, you know, to be to be keeping on targeting the livestock sector, it just makes no sense when you look at the data. But uh, I'm afraid that um, that's the way that things are going. And I think, like Chris said, there's a bit of a, an anti-meat agenda that's being pushed by some, and they're trying to use um, the environmental aspect as the, as the target point. And it's extraordinary that they are refused. I have not seen... And people refuse to admit that methane has a finite life. I think, what is it, 12 years or something? So, 10 to 12 years, yeah. I believe, is the, is, the, is the cycle. And then it gets recycled back into um, additional plant and grass growth and the, the ruminant animals graze it and then the, the cycle begins again. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's not it, – it's a naturally occurring carbon cycle that's been with us um, well pre the industrial era, yes. um, you know, and, uh, and I just can't – it, it, I can't really understand why there's such a negative press towards it and it's such a negative, um, you know, kind of uh, social narrative on, on the social media sites around this cattle sector particularly. Chris, is it, is it a talking point when you meet your producers? Uh, a lot of people are trying to get their head around the logistics side of things. Like at the end of the day, if we hit these targets, England's 1,500 miles long. Australia's a bit bigger than that. Yep. Um We'll have to go back to trains and droving if they're if they're going to talk about taking diesel away as a as a as a fuel source. Yeah, I'm just wondering how Fraser's might get along with 25 road trains and 40 or so B doubles and B triples, and they Well, it, it's it's actually it's funny you say that. Speaking to a significant carrier in the south on Tuesday, their issue is finding skilled livestock drivers. Uh, yeah, he wow. actually said we we're starting to look at downsizing our operation because we've got rigs standing because we haven't got someone to to drive them. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Now, look, boys, this is our last episode for the year. We'll certainly be back next year, but give me some forecasts about, uh, say, heavy steer prices, maybe uh, the Eki mid January, mid to late January. Thank I'll you. go first, and Chris, I'll put my neck on the line. <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> um, look, I, I, like I said before, I think there are some international factors at play that we might start to see some some pressure put on pricing um, beyond this next few weeks of, of this rainfall event. Um, so I, I suspect we're going to see heavy steers maybe drift back down to that 420 uh, live weight level. Might might get into the low 400s by the end of the year, Kerry. Yeah. And, I, and I've been saying it all year, but I think you know that's going to be also the catalyst to see some price pressure come into young cattle too. So, you know, I'm suspecting maybe back towards that $10 mark or perhaps even slightly below maybe 980, 975s yeah. to the Eki. For the Eki, that is, yes. Yep. I, yeah. I agree with Matt on the heavies. Um, we're starting to see overfat heifers appear in the market now. They're taking a discount. My expectation on the Eki was that we would go into October with some heat and a hay off. We're going into a green summer now. Uh it's green in the north, it's green in the south. 250 kilo calves are making $8, $8.50 a kilo. I can't see young cattle backing off too much before the end of January. And what, about um, that, what about land prices, which have been heating up or on heat for about the last uh, 18 months or so? Yeah, look, land prices, we saw uh, TFI throw $9 for uh, January, February forward contracts. That was oversubscribed in four days. That was done. Um, with the 
with the lack of yield that we're seeing, we need a bit of sun on, on quite a few lambs. I think the mid eights seem to be where it's going to hover around January. Matthew and Chris, we'll talk about these prices when we come back in January. Boys, it's been good fun during the year. Thank you so much for joining us on Beef Central's Grill. Thanks, Kerry. Cheers, Chris. Thanks, Thanks, Kerry. See you. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health. <laughs>